Hello and welcome to the Startups Roundtable. I'd like to start with an acknowledgement of country. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet. Here in Sydney, it's the Gadigal people. We pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging and extend our respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening today. Hi, Tony Hackett is my name and I'm your host at the Startups Roundtable. Today's guest is Miriam Schwab and she is co-founder and CEO of Stratic, a serverless publishing solution for WordPress websites that makes them more secure faster and scalable. In this episode, Miriam takes us through Stratic's technology and business model differentiation in the WordPress world. The lessons are many and include the importance of technical depth combining with business savvy, but never in isolation to a connected understanding of the customer. So let's hear from Miriam. Okay, so I'm Miriam Schwab. I'm originally from Canada, actually, um, but I've been living in Israel for the last 26 years. And now I am the co-founder and CEO of a startup called Stratic. Stratic publishes WordPress websites as static, and that makes the sites much faster, basically unhackable and seamlessly scalable. We're like an end-to-end hosting platform that's very different than the other ones, the conventional ones that exist out there. And Miriam, what was the trigger to go from this being a good idea to actually being something you stepped all the way across to to start your own company? Before I founded Stratic, I founded a web development agency and our focus and expertise was WordPress. And I did that for 13 years. Towards the end of that period of time, we provided custom WordPress solutions to companies. So we weren't like a web agency where we took a theme and slapped it on. And we actually built themes from scratch and we did a lot of customization for our customers. Our, our customers were like enterprise level types of companies where their branding and performance and all that was very important to them. We worked with a lot of Israeli tech companies and we were providing an ongoing maintenance service to them where we would uh, keep their sites backed up and updated and provide customer support because what had happened was we were building websites, handing them off, and then the customer would come back like six months later going, it was hacked and this and that, you know, problems. This way we would help them keep their sites alive. That's very typical experience in the world of WordPress. Um, and that was like a great service for us and for them it was win-win. But as time went on, even that for us as a company became more and more complicated. Even though like my team and myself were WordPress experts and uh, were high-level professionals, it just was taking more time. It was becoming more challenging to stay ahead of the hacker bots that were trying to hack the site. Performance became painful. Scalability became painful. So I started to think, well, maybe WordPress is it is no longer the ideal solution for companies looking to build their websites. Maybe it's time to look, explore more modern um, solutions that are out there. And so I started to look into the world of static site generators, which was very cool, very up-to-date, very appealing to developers. And the output of those sites is kind of what WordPress isn't, which is there's nothing to hack because it's a collection of static files. It's fast because every page is pre-rendered and there's, there's nothing to hack there. So and it's scalable. So, I, but I also saw that building sites with those static site generators was complicated, not user friendly, not marketing friendly. So then I thought, why not turn WordPress into a static site generator? So that was where the idea came from. The development that gave me the confidence to pursue it as its own standalone project and potentially startup, I saw that a, a local startup accelerator was had open applications, and I decided, okay, I'm going to try. I'm going to see. I'm going to apply and 
if they bite, then maybe there's something here. And if not, then okay, it was a nice idea. And that was an amazing first step for me because I learned, you know, about startup models and I was, I had access to a lot of really smart people and mentors and that was the early stages, but it gave me the courage and the support to move forward. I'm going to come back to the accelerator topic in a moment. When I first saw your site and got to understand your story a little, I started to think about, is it a time when there's there's almost a, a second wave or a new dawn of content creation that you bring the value to? I'm in the sales and business development role, and there is a default that we will use LinkedIn. And all hail LinkedIn, we should use that, and it's, it's got a place in the universe. But if it's about developing a brand and creating connectivity with prospects, with customers, with an audience, then it felt that what you're doing brings something that is more current for that engagement, for the content creation-driven engagement. Is that a reasonable way to think about what you're doing? It's interesting that you say that because that's traditionally, I think, what WordPress has been, which is, and this is the way that we spoke about it to our customers at the web agency, which is you have like a system of content creation and sharing, like the solar system and the sun is your WordPress site, which is out of all the content sharing um, platforms out there, it's the only one that you truly own. It's your own real piece of real estate on the internet. And in my opinion, that's really important that you own your brand there, you can't exactly rely on these other platforms because you never know what's going to change, if they're going to change their policies, who's going to be around. I mean, they're going strong, but you just never know. And so when people put all of their resources in those platforms and ignore their own personal platform, they can find themselves paying a price later on. So in my opinion, you always have your your website in the center. And it's generally been WordPress because WordPress has a very robust ecosystem around it of you know developers and users, but and also tools that integrate really well with marketing and sales tools. And so it's a it's an excellent kind of hub for all that activity. What we're doing is we're taking WordPress to the next level. So it's still WordPress. Our platform is end-to-end and there's still a WordPress site there. The advantage of that is that our users can continue using WordPress as they're used to and they don't have to learn a new platform. They don't need to learn new tooling or anything like that. But the output of that WordPress site is a modern architecture, which is static. Static sounds like a negative thing because it sounds like something that's not dynamic. It's not, not interesting. In this case, static refers to the architecture. It means that there's no underlying processing server and database, which tends to weigh down the site and also be the cause of all the issues related to speed, security, and scalability. So you get to have the hub of your content creation and your marketing efforts and sales efforts be WordPress still, but WordPress in a modern format. The advantage of that is that when you're making your efforts, you don't risk sending someone to a site that's painfully slow and embarrassing or potentially hacked and you don't realize. We see this a lot. People's sites can get hacked by these bots and they do it in a very sophisticated way where the site owner doesn't necessarily know because they don't see the infection. It's only their users that end up being forwarded to inappropriate websites or whatever so that the hackers make money off it. That's where uh, I think we come into play in terms of supporting that hub, supporting the sun of the system kind of thing, and in a modern, scalable, secure, fast way. When you think about your go-to-market then, do you find that people who are existing users of WordPress are your target market? Because they'll understand the elegance and the sophistication and the increased tooling versus somebody who's new to WordPress or new to creating their identity? The people who respond in 
the strongest way to Stratic are more advanced users of WordPress or people who have, have been using it for a long time. Those users have seen it all kind of thing. They are familiar with the ecosystem. They're familiar with the current solutions. And they're also very familiar with the issues because they are repeatedly experiencing it. So they're looking for other solutions. And then they come across Stratic and they're like, hallelujah, kind of thing where, oh, I can still use WordPress and I don't have to deal with all that annoying stuff. Those are the people who tend to respond to it uh, in the most positive way. As a company, one of our biggest challenges is educating the market because WordPress has been around for so long. WordPress is 17 years old. The way that people have been managing WordPress basically stayed the same. When you have a site, you're like, I need to host it somewhere. And then there's a list of companies that everyone talks about. And you go to one of them and you host it there. And when you host it there, your experience is almost the same on every company. They all say, we do this, we do that. And in the end, you stick your site there. It's a parking space. And the internet can then see your site. With us, it's, a very, it's quite a different approach. And so we need to help people understand what does this mean? Why is this advantageous to them? And so that, that's something that we need to do for the, the newbies that you described, that type of thing. Is experimentation something that plays a big part in your development and your testing of the market? The way that we uh, approach our development and our roadmap is it's twofold. One is we have a number of people on my team, myself included, who have very, very strong background in WordPress. We understand the market in and out. Having run an agency, I understand how people use websites, whether they're companies or other agencies. And I know the pain points. And so uh, me and the other people on the team who are like me, we can drive the product forward from that point of view. The other point of view is we listen to customer feedback very strongly. And we learn from a lot of the sites that are onboarded in terms of features that maybe we don't yet support. And then we consider whether we should uh, roll out support for them, depending on how many users either say they have this issue or we can foresee that others will. We're not exactly experimenting at this point, at least in the beginning, there was much more experimentation in terms of how do we publish the site perfectly in a static format and how do we do that quickly and efficiently um, and how do we create a great user experience around it? We're always tweaking that, obviously, but that system is in place. And now next steps is our figuring out which are the next features um, that we're going to be developing. We have a roadmap in place, and we, we also tweak that based on what we learn from our customers. Miriam, where do you go to look for trends if you were to say, I don't know, if I was to pick a period of time, say 12 months out and maybe 24 months out, what's the pulse that you, you look for? I spend a lot of time uh, reading and participating in developer communities. Whether we're talking about Twitter, I, I get a lot of newsletters, industry newsletters, not only about WordPress, but about peripheral solutions and trends. I get alerts and I follow Reddit and that informs a lot of what we're doing as well. That will determine certain features that we will roll out. That's how I've always approached in our agency as well. What type of services did we provide? How did we address people's issues? And how did we become better at selling what we're doing and sending out by listening to people how they're speaking, what their concerns are, and how they're communicating, and then responding to that. So it's, it's kind of the same here. What tips and tricks would you share that are part of your change selling in this COVID universe that we live in right now and, and leveraging online and remote access? Well, we can't depend on conferences anymore. That's, that's something that's changed. From January to June, I was supposed to fly six times to six different countries 
And I was going to be speaking at at least three conferences and participating in three more. It was it was some split like that. I always found that speaking at conferences was an excellent way to create awareness among people and position myself as a thought leader. But that's no longer an option. I do participate in online conferences quite a lot. But in the end, they're missing the vibe that the in-person conferences have. And in the end, you're essentially just another webinar and people are starting to get burned out from online events. So that's a challenge. So aside from that, it depends on what you're selling, but I've always approached whatever product or service that I'm working on by being participatory in communities, trying to help people uh, as much as I can with my knowledge and supporting others you know, in their efforts to do their own jobs and, and just being out there, then that generate, you know, inbound or word of mouth or things like that. That's like scalable to a certain extent at the beginning of a startup, but as we're at a reflection point, we need to start focusing on, on more scalable sales methods. And so we hired a director of marketing who's going to be leading that. Yeah, I must say that's something that's very much front of mind for me in my role. I'm in a business development role with a tech company and the accounts are, are by and large uh, quite mature customers, a small number, and it's that it is truly the challenge. It's so how do you get people's attention? It, it feels to me that it's about trying to get to this this heightened degree of granularity of understanding a problem, but not just that, being able to make it really simple to understand how you can take baby steps in testing that out, because no one's going to say that's fantastic. The, the other thing is you made a really great point about not being face-to-face. Trust comes from that, being able to be read in a room and being able to read a room, and that doesn't exist. So then it's how do you build those proof points and make sure that, you, that people are confident you're not going to wreck their career, let alone their company, let alone their customers? No, totally. I am fortunate to be in a position where for the last like 10 years, I've been very active in the WordPress community and I've been flying to the conferences and I built connections and relationships there uh, with many people. And so even though I can't meet more people face-to-face, that helps. But I don't know how someone who's like, let's say, breaking into a new industry, how they would try to stand out from the crowd in this online world. One way I would say is creating content, creating, you know, blog posts and videos. That always helped me. And if a person can invest in that now, I would say that that's probably something that they should be doing in order to start building their reputation. I 100% agree with you. I've been well-intentioned amateur, but I've bought into the use of video for probably about last 18 months, maybe last two years, and video sales letter, and even to the point where I was reading a book just in the last two weeks, but it was essentially saying, answer the questions people are asking. And the guy, Marcus Sheridan, he's written this book about, it's about content, and he had a, a pool company and building pools. And at a very simple level, he said, people want to know how much they cost. And one way of developing content, tell people how much they cost. (laughs) And all of a sudden, as I read the book, I went, yeah, of course. (laughs) So why wouldn't you? It doesn't mean you're giving somebody a quote, but it's helping people think through things. And that was just one example of it. There were five different areas that he says, build content for this. Actually, it's interesting you raise this because I've had a a moment just in the last few weeks. So first of all, I came across this book 
And at the same time, or about the same time, totally coincidentally, on AppSumo, you would know AppSumo. So there was a an app phrase, F-R-A-S-E dot I-O. I'll do a poor job of explaining. So if somebody from Phrase hears this, like a, a, he's butchered it. But fundamentally, I can put a search in and I can go, my company's name, ransomware, banking, creates a content brief. Is it perfect? As a business development person, it is stunning. So all of a sudden, I'm able to go through and actually pick bits out. And then I actually started to test this out a little bit. And it says, if that's the topic, here are a stack of articles. By the way, here are the questions that are being asked that feed to that. And here are the words being used in these articles. And so I did it at a a rudimentary level and started to populate it using this as my guidance system. But all of a sudden, I'm getting traffic that I did not get. A step change in traffic. It is amazing. So this whole thing about rudimentary questions, answer questions people want answered, and then being able to go and draw things in, find references, produce the content. And it was about the same time that I found your company. And it was sort of this this interesting connection of the universe for me that brought me to get in touch and it's good of you to make the time available today. But in my mind, it is about content creation because if you're not creating the content, how can anybody know what you stand for? Previously, it was an issue. Now, I think it's an even bigger issue. How can somebody who doesn't really know you, who might have met you on a Zoom once, heard you speak for 30 words, how do you build that trust? Let them know your point of view. Start to communicate in a way that is is knowledgeable and, and thought through and to be able to do it in a way that is highly secure, fast delivery, I think the story that you're building, what you're building as a company is really interesting. I don't need to be telling you that, but I'm just saying that my reflection on it is it's a pretty interesting time for you to be doing it. Yeah, it's interesting because of because of COVID, people are increasingly moving online or paying more attention to their online presences and, and they're going to need to be focusing on their websites and uh, their own brands. And so there's increased interest in different tools like ours. And what you said about creating content to answer questions, totally right. When we create whatever content we have on our site, and we need to update it more, but what we have so far has answered questions we kept seeing come up, whether they ask, people asked us, people asked online. So we addressed that, created content around it. And we have quite a nice amount of traffic coming to our site from this type of content. FAQs are an excellent piece of content that people should add to their sites, in my opinion. A lot of our users just go straight there or they find the content by Googling it. And yeah, you're absolutely right about that. Miriam, could I ask for your commentary around diversity and inclusion and from your experience and, and in a startup, how you think about that? I organized five WordCamp conferences in Israel for the WordPress community. They, WordCamps are the WordPress conferences that happen around the world, and I did five in Israel. And already then I saw the challenge of inclusion in, gener- in creating a conference. I learned after a few times that I had to specifically reach out to women to try to get them to speak rather than have them apply. And then even once I did that, I would have to explain to them that I think they're awesome and they could bring a lot of value. And even then I would often fail. So that's a, like a tech-related conference. And that was uh, my first experience with the challenges of creating diversity. I had already experienced the lack of diversity in my agency because many times whether I'm participating in conferences or meetings, I'm, I was very often the only woman in the room. I got used to that. So founding a startup until this stage, we are very heavily R&D driven, tech driven. And our focus has been there. Marketing has been 
basically me putting myself out there and whatever, and whoever comes, comes. But it hasn't been like a strategic effort. When we're hiring tech talent and we put a job out there, we'll get, uh, let's say, 50 applications, 100 applications, and 1% of them will be women or some other like uh, minority. But I, I'm going to specifically focus on women because uh, I guess that's a, a cause that's near to my heart. And that's the landscape. So in my opinion, with regards to women, what needs to happen is more focus on the earlier stages of young girls' lives where they are um, exposed more to this potential direction of STEM, science and technology, and encouraged to participate in that. And then encouraged to stay stay the path because what happens is a lot of women end up retiring from the industry because it's very demanding and the hours don't work around them wanting to start a family. And so I think also workplaces need to create a much more family-friendly environment. Because we're early stage, we don't have the luxury of hiring people who we are then going, like juniors who are going to train yet. And right now we have to hire people who can hit the ground running. It tends to be men. We have, thank God, a few women on our team, but we're, I think a quarter of the team is women, including myself. We are a very family-friendly company by our nature because I am a mother of seven. <laughs> so I am familiar of the, with the need for a family-friendly environment. I've always needed that. And I'm very empathetic towards that. And my, my co-founder, Josh, also is a family man. Most of our team members are parents. We are very understanding from that point of view so that parents and people can have personal lives and also have a job. <laughs> and then going forward, my dream and our dream as a company is that we will start to be able to hire more junior developers who we will have some kind of internal training program. And in Israel, that means we could hire from sectors that traditionally aren't found in tech. So that's women, the ultra-Orthodox in Israel, women and men, Arabs and Muslims, and hopefully also from the Ethiopian community. And the idea is to help these younger people who are starting their career path work at Stratic, train at Stratic, and, and then hopefully continue with Stratic. But that demands a lot of resources. And because we're early stage, we can't do that yet. But that's, that's the vision. That's fantastic. You've actually painted a picture that it's about being conscious. And I think that's that's the important element, but thank you for sharing that. In closing, could you give some commentary around accelerator programs and mentors and coaches and what your guidance and suggestions would be to somebody who might be listening to this and trying to make their own decisions around those types of communities? I found participating in, I actually participated in two startup accelerators to be very, very valuable. Because when you start off with a concept or an idea for a startup, you're generally alone, or maybe you're two people. Each of you could be excellent in one thing, but it doesn't mean you have any business sense or startup business sense or sales experience or marketing experience or like all, like there's a million things that go into building a company. And then when you're in a startup accelerator, what they, a good one does is they have a network of mentors that they make available to the companies that are participating in their program. You can then reach out and ask someone who's, a top expert in sales, what, how they would suggest you approach X or a top uh, finance person, how you should build out your business model. I, I found that very useful. And I highly recommend to anyone I talk to who has an idea that they're working on or they want to pursue that they should really try to be part of an accelerator. The accelerator is there to support you and promote you. And then they stay part of your journey even after. And that's very valuable as well. So, oh, and and even more valuable or equally valuable, I would even say actually more valuable is the connections that you make to other founders. Because as you're all going along your journey, you can consult with each other. How did you handle this? How did you handle that? Who's your lawyer? Who's your accountant? 
incorporating here, incorporating there. When you have that network of other founders, you can learn from each other a lot. I, I highly recommend that. We have a number of advisors, like official advisors at Stratic, who are really smart and we do turn to them when we need to. But it's not like an ongoing like coaching thing or anything like that. It's like, how do we deal with this? And then we call him up. The Stratic story is a, an amazing story. I'm so glad to have been introduced to it today. And Miriam, thanks for taking the time and sharing your insights and tips for other people who might be looking to go the startup journey as well. So thanks very much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. Hope you enjoyed this conversation with Miriam as much as I did. And as always, feedback is appreciated. Thanks for listening and bye for now.